Hello and welcome to the Hippocampus podcast, a place where we discuss the strategies that help optimise learning. So join us for some grassroots conversations where we share some practical tips and insights that might just make your learning journey a little easier. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Tian Ko and Dr. Alex Hammond, who are currently clinical teaching fellows at Leicester Medical School. We spoke about their paths into their current roles, what they've learned in their time as CTFs, reflections on their own learning journeys, and also a bit of advice on how students can get involved in medical education. So let's join hosts, me, Elliot, a third-year medical student, and Nikita, who is also a third-year medical student. Okay, so welcome back, everyone, and hello. How are you, Nikita? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Um, how was your bank holiday weekend? Oh, it was really good. I mostly relaxed for it. And you know yeah. when you relax, but you still can't remember what you've done. You've done yeah. nothing, but you still can't remember what's yeah. happened. So yeah, I was looking was forward good. to the weekend, but uh, the weather was quite depressing. So didn't, yeah, it got yeah, a bit worse. wasn't that great. Mm. But anyway, I'm happier now because we've got two very special guests for, uh, with us uh, this, this evening. Uh, who are Dr. Tiang To and Dr. Alex Hammond. It's really nice to have you guys join us t- tonight. And could you uh, just tell us about your role as CTFs and how you got into the roles? So Yeah, nice to be here. Um, thank you, Elliot and Nikita and the rest of the Hippocampus podcast team uh, for inviting us along. Um, so yeah, I'm Tiang um, and I'm one of the clinical teaching fellows um, at Leicester um, at the minute. Um, so I've been in this role for two years now um, and really, really enjoy teaching um, so far. Um, so mostly teaching the first and second years at Leicester. Um, it, it's actually quite surprising for me, really, to, um, to be, you know, really interested in teaching and kind of staying on so far in teaching as well. But we can talk more about that later. Yeah, um, thanks for having us, guys. Um, really excited to be here. So yeah, so similar to um, T, I've been a CTF for the last uh, two years. Obviously, this last year has been a slightly different vibe. Um, but yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, that 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 sweet CTF life. It's been great. Great. So what 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 attracted you at first to a role in teaching? Um, well, <laughs> well, go on, go on, T, go on, T. Sorry. Well, I, I was going to say, to be entirely honest, personally, it's just time out of clinical training. Um, and it's just, you know, being uh, tired of the shift work and, you know, doing long 13 hour shifts and the night shifts, the horrifying, you know, tiredness, I think, um, is what actually led me uh, to apply for the CTF job. I'm not sure about you, Alex, but that was my main reason, really. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a big plus. There's no getting away from it. Um, but yeah, and I, I, to be fair, I, I, I do really like teaching. I did some, um, between my undergraduate degree and my medical degree, I did some uh, teaching as a foreign language in China, teaching English as a, to, um, in, uh, in China, which was really fun. And um, so that's kind of like um, what where I first found out that I really enjoyed teaching and then I did a bit, bit, bit more in medical school and yeah the sort of CTF job seemed like a natural next step it was really yeah. fun yeah so you yeah. seem to have a interest in teaching whereas Tiang just is here for the, the free ride 
<laughs> oh no, that's definitely not true. I'm just joking, T. You, you, uh, you, yeah, I was. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that you wanted to teach since you were so young, because obviously you've taught me before, and I thought you were quite a natural teacher. So, um, so oh, did did you have an interest in teaching? Obviously, alongside the the need to take a break from clinical medicine. Oh yes, definitely. Um, I think um, teaching. Um, again, wasn't really on my radar as a medical student. Um, but when I came on to foundation year um, and having, you know, medical students um, kind of coming to the ward, um, I think that was quite nice. Um, I remember there was a few of my, of my students who came in my first rotation when I was in respiratory. And um, as a first job in respiratory as an F1, it's quite a scary moment of, you know, the pressure of doing blood gases and missing it and things like that. And um, of course, the added pressure of having students there wanting to learn blood gases um, as well. It's, it's not great, um, but I think somehow I've always managed to find time uh, to teach them. And actually, they really do appreciate it. And I enjoyed it as well. Um, and I feel like the patients enjoyed as well um because uh, it's just a different change um and as a result I remember there was one student who later graduated as an F1 and he was actually my F1 um a few years later which is quite nice because uh every time he's done an, a blood gas he kept saying I just kept remembering what you've taught us uh in respiratory which is you know um really nice to hear and I think just in generally um as a doctor I I find that I'm more inclined to teach students because um, you know you see them on the side um, on the ward looking a bit lost and uh, doctors just not really paying much attention to them and uh, you kind of relate back to your own experiences as a student um, and I think for me teaching students in a clinical setting is so important and them having the right experiences is so important as well um, so yeah I really do enjoy teaching uh, in that sense um, but I think um, also another big big moment for me um, which I'm actually quite surprised I've managed to do it um, when I was in F1 um, was um, me and another F1 we've decided to create this surgical skills so of course um, for the West Midlands trainee as well um, and it's quite a big thing that we've um, done with the orthopedic consultant and that kind of brought me to the sort of more admin side of teaching, the more, um, you know, organizing an event and finding sponsors and things like that, which actually made me think, oh, actually, there's more to teaching than just teaching. Um, you know, there's a, a, a bigger world out there as well. Yeah, and I, I, I sort of, sorry just to, to interject, but I, I liked how you spoke about seeing the medical students on the side as well, because you do feel a little left out on placement sometimes you, you get in the way but also I think you do find that your confidence as well helps because you know what you're talking about now right you've been through the grind you've been through the process so I guess that also helps you you know yeah exactly yeah definitely um and I think it's just you know it's just really heartbreaking I think for me to see students uh, that way you know being uh, rejected in, in a way um on the wards that you know by seeing a doctor coming up to them I think in some ways they get I don't know they're, they're mostly surprised every time I come up to them and be like do you want to do something because uh, they're just you know not expecting it at all um, but I really do enjoy that it, it's quite nice to tie in 
you know, what they've learned um, back in medical school and trying to relate that to um, the patient's clinical condition as well. I guess the other good thing um, about teaching is that uh, it really forces you uh, kicking and screaming to actually like face up to the material because uh, like I mean oh, <clears throat> often I'm uh, only one lesson ahead of you guys um, but it's actually you know I feel like I know the material so much better especially the basic sciences stuff that I haven't been necessarily really gone back to um, since I graduated I think it's actually been this, this, this year as a CTF has been really helpful for just kind of consolidate that knowledge. Um, that is so true, um, Alex. I think, you know, coming to teach um, the basic sciences, I think a lot of the students assume that you know everything, um, whereas the reality is I probably just learnt it the day before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it's just kind of trying to refresh that in my mind and, um, and which is why I think every time in group work, especially when uh, a really, really good student asks a really, really good question, um, you just kind of have to take a moment to kind of try and think of how the, how best to answer them as well um, and what to not say in case it's wrong in that sense. Um, so I, I find myself many times just saying, I have no idea what the answer is, I'm afraid. Um, and let's learn uh, this thing together and let's try and get through um, this really good question that you have together. Um, and sometimes even, uh, you know, waiting till the week later and getting back to them as well, which I think is really important as a um, a, a teacher um, and also being um, uh, reliable as well uh, in not only your answers but also in the way that you conduct yourself in front of students um, yeah I, I yeah. think that's just really important yeah I think we've talked a lot uh, on the podcast about teaching to learn so obviously you guys will be learning loads well revising the 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 basic sciences and so, other information sometimes that you learning. Across. No, no, no. yeah sometimes learning yeah, also yeah. <laughs> so so what, what's your process like for learning and revisiting uh all the information that, that you've got to learn you know for the, the the group work on the next day or um you know getting to grips with a, a whole unit that you've you haven't seen in in, in i don't know 10 years or something um I think for me, it depends on which module it is, um, to be honest, because I've done um, core medical training. Um, so I think I'm probably more happier. Is, is that the right word? I'm not sure. Uh, more comfortable, I guess, um, going through the more medical um, modules, um, especially in year two when you have um, like the system based like urinary or GI um, that you know is quite heavy on um, medicine itself um, I'm quite happy to just glance through it and kind of know what to say or know what the content would be in that sense but then in terms of the more basic sciences um, like histology or embryology for example I find um, useful to just uh, take out my old notes that I've made in the past and kind of glancing through that before um, and kind of refreshing my memory that way Do and you I still just have like, your old notes T is that for your notes from medical school some of them really? <laughs> not all of them yeah which oh, I find actually really, nice. really helpful because it's not like a 
you know, massive pages of notes, but it's kind of more condensed and sometimes a lot more colorful and lots more pictures. And it's just very concise, um, <laughs> which, yeah, I, I use. That's impressive. Yeah. My, my notes are like mouldering away under my bed in my parents' house, I, I think, <laughs> if, if they've not been thrown away. Um, oh, no, good for you. That's really cool. Um, I think, what do I do? I, I've really got into, and maybe this is me showing my age. I'm not, I promise you, I'm not that old. But like, I've really got into watching um, YouTube videos um, of stuff. Um, and and all, like the shorter the video, the better. Uh, if you can play it at 1.5 speed, that's great. And yeah, so that I think, because I think that's maybe because I'm going over it a second time. That's I find that the easiest to kind of like re like get to grips with things. I think if it's something that I genuinely haven't seen before, um, like some of the basic sciencey stuff, then um, like kind of we were discussing earlier, I might go to a like a primer, uh, like a like a like a very very small textbook. Uh, that that that's my that's my go to really. When you as as sort of your work as a CTF though, do you find that once you've started teaching students, you look back at your medical school journey and go, "Damn, I should have I should have learned this way." Like, have you ever had that moment? So many times, really. <laughs> I cannot tell you uh, how many times I had that. Um, I think even more so when doing group work sessions. For some students, it clicked instantly. And uh, for me, it just never did until 10 years later when I'm <laughs> teaching the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think, um, again, for me, now that I'm on the other side, I guess, it made me think a lot about my own journey as a student. Um, and um, I know at the minute, you know, with Hippocampus podcast, it's great in um, giving out tips of how to learn really well um, and how to kind of retain that knowledge as well and even more for long term. And I don't think I know that at all as a student. Um, and, uh, you know, my go to as a student is literally just rereading lecture notes, um, not even doing flashcards or anything, just keep rereading it um, until it's just kind of memorized in. Uh, and that, that's simply just not how medicine works. Um, you just need to try and integrate and try and uh, think of different possibilities because every case is different and, you know, try and come up with the best management plan from there. And I just never got that um, at all. So, yeah, mind blown, really. So, yeah, so how would you reflect on your learning journey, Alex? T said that, you know, she has maybe some regrets in the fact that she just, you know, you read a lot and then maybe focused on short shorter term learning so so how would how would you reflect on on your learning through medical school yeah I am I, um, I was just thinking about it I would say that like my my learning was very like in very two clear phases so because I did a, a biochemistry degree beforehand I thought that like oh, I've got this uh, learning malarkey nailed down you know I write my notes I write some smaller notes I might highlight them and then that's it it's magically learned I did not do terribly well with that strategy I mean I think the thing is in first year as well 
um, I was living uh, in halls with like non-medics, uh, which was uh, fun. But uh, my I definitely did substantially better when I moved into my uh, second year house and lived with other medics. And then actually like just through the informal chat in the house, I found like I was making a lot more connections and I kind of understood a lot more where everyone else was at, what everyone else felt was important. You know, we could explain things to each other. And that that actually, that was when I really like my my learning kicked on, uh, was like having that um, supportive structure with my like peers. Um, and, you know, my um my tutee group are probably sick of me um banging on about it big big up year two groups they do um but like i really like try and encourage them to work as a team uh because i really thought like i personally definitely found huge benefits to that yeah that's a good point actually um alex i think because um, I find, especially in the more clinical years, when I do have, you know, medic friends around to talk about different things, it definitely, you know, clicked a lot better than to have people to talk to. And I think one of the things that I tell my students is don't be afraid to make mistakes in front of your friends, um, because that's a big thing for me um, when I was a student. Like, you don't want to sound stupid in front of, you know, just your friends even. And I just feel like if you make mistakes earlier on then you will never make them again in the future yeah I've definitely felt that as a student as well I'm still dealing with it now as a student every single day because I realized very early on and I'm thankful for it that through a friend I got a bit of a nudge that actually you need someone else to step in to make you realize how you actually learn and whether you're learning properly or not which can come in the form of a friend but also people like you as well who kind of step in but also this is a huge thing for me as well is when I'm with friends I just hate making mistakes in front of them I hate it but I think it's really important that you emphasize that to students because you're in a position where you've gone through the experience and they can almost look up to you so I think CTFs can play like play a huge role for students especially since you're seeing them every day as well no definitely Nikita Um, and I think I've I've made loads of mistakes uh, as a student and I can definitely tell you for sure that the number one mistake I did is um (sighs) kind of being resistant to change you know having done a levels really well and you know before a levels and uh, you know sticking to that routine of just rereading things all the time I feel like no I've got this my method works and kind of feeling arrogant about it and slightly insulted uh, when someone else you know mentioned another method so you know I think that's also my top advice for students like you know the advice that people give maybe give it a go and see how you feel about it and see whether it works. Um, Because if it's not, then, you know, try something else um, as well. Also, I'd say, you know, like as a CTF, I really, really, really don't mind if you get the answer wrong. Like that really doesn't matter at all. Uh, Like I'm much, much more encouraged by people who just like say something and give it a go and then actually you can understand people's thought processes a lot more and you can understand where people are coming from a lot more easily and like that's actually how you learn is by putting yourself out there and and grappling with these things and just 
I know it's a lot easier to just sit in the corner and be like, oh, I'll go over this later and like I learn better on my own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that honestly, the people that speak up and try and grapple with it there and then are ultimately the people that do better. And you can see that over the course of the year, the people that are more chatty and even if they're getting stuff wrong, you can see them growing in confidence and them get improving and improving. And, and and actually the people that sit in silence, it's very difficult to know what's going on there. And you're not it's you're not helping yourself as much. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you've noticed that, you know, the students who talk more uh tend to be the ones who progress um throughout the year. Um, what else have you learned about how students learn in your two years working as a CTF? Um, I, I, I've learned that people hate textbooks. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, just like <laughs> textbooks aren't a thing now. That's that's cool. That's what I've learned. Yeah, did, did in when in your time in medical school were, were textbooks the you know the the bible for learning certain like anatomy and things? Yeah, yeah. My fr- I'm my, my um. My housemate literally had um, Davidson's and would like read a few pages each night. Like that's how, and like you know, that's how in first year, like you just got out the um, the right pages in. Oh my gosh, what's it called? In Grey's Anatomy. So I have to check. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like that's how you prepared for the anatomy session is by like reading the relevant chapters. And like there are definitely pros and cons to that, but I do think that like sometimes there's a missed opportunity with textbooks because like actually someone has spent the time to collate the relevant material for the like for our our level Mm. um, and put it in a book so like sometimes actually like I mean some textbooks are rubbish but like some of them are actually quite good and quite helpful so you know yeah that's um, true but also I find with textbooks like you know even when I'm making notes for example uh, mm. I find that it takes a couple hours to go through the information but ultimately it can be boiled down to just a page do you see what I mean and the thing is with the growing number of resources now um, you know there's so many like avenues where you have everything you need to know on one page often the teachings you have from consultants the key points are all in just one page so students often find why do I need to read a, a whole textbook you know okay. do you see what I mean uh, I would I would rebut that um, with with an example. <laughs> it's a debate. It's becoming a debate for a <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, like I actually totally get that. And there are some textbooks which are basically like old finals notes, which are just like six bullet points on SLE. Here are the six key words, and that's that's fine. But. I would say, okay, so here's a long rambling example. Um, So when I did my GCSE, so I did a GCSE in Spanish, okay, and back in the day, there was like no Google Translate, okay, I'm really showing my age, or like no pop, like no Google Translate. So how I did my GCSE Spanish was like looking words up in a dictionary, which was a slow process, but by looking up in the dictionary, I had to like think about the word. And then it was like, okay, well, now I've, it takes a bit of time. And it's like, now I understand what the translation is. And that, that like, that 20 seconds of looking it up and thinking about it really helped me remember it. And then several years later, I tried to learn Italian. And this is when Google Translate existed. 
and I found myself just being like, oh, boom, hey, this is so easy. Like, well, what's this word? Oh, it means this. Okay, what's this word? It means, and actually, like, because it was so instantaneous, I found that I was, I just wasn't learning it in the same way to the same level. And I think sometimes if you're just like, boom, this is the like half a sheet on SLE. This is all I need to know. Okay, I've read it. Sick. On to, uh, now I'm going to do RA. Um, I actually, like, really you might have been better spending five minutes reading mm. the two pages in the <laughs> rheumatology primer on SLE and actually mm. taking it in properly and then being like right I really have like now got to grips on SLE okay and you know you, have, you spent a bit more time thinking about it mm. um that, that's why I could like you know I know you guys have got a lot of time pressures and it's easy to be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go straight for those bullet points because that's high yield. But actually, yeah. sometimes there's, there's, yeah, there's, you're not learning it. There's definitely a balance because, you know, yeah. you've, you've got to explore the topic to exactly. a degree to, you know, get the picture. And then obviously there's the later, you know, exams, you want to memorize the key facts. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a balance between um, what, 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 how you how you're describing it. So, Tieng, is, is there anything that you can think of that uh, you've learned about how students learn in your two years as a CTF? I mean, again, going back to Alex's comment, um, I don't know about you guys, but I very much prefer a physical textbook compared to electronic textbooks. Again, it's just something about holding that textbook, finding you know where you want to go, finding that page and having it around you as well, rather than you know going to some website and trying to find that textbook again. Uh, it's something that I find is useful. Can't quite explain why um, that's the case apart from having something physical in the room. Um, so maybe something about tactile, I don't know, actually holding the textbook that counts, I think, um, mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Um, but again, I think this is different for different students. I'm sure some of them would um, appreciate electronic textbooks a lot more than me. Um, or again, maybe it's showing my age a lot more than... No, I, I totally, <laughs> I agree, Tiang. Like the physical, tech, that's why I bought the two as well recently that I was telling you about, because I just need, I think it's accessible. You almost feel as if it's right there and it's going in your brain. Like, yeah. you yeah. know, like versus an electronic yeah. thing. Yeah. No, you can it. also see physically how much, you know, you've like, you can picture the, if it's a, a textbook about anatomy, you can picture like the the whole uh, subject and think about, you know, what, what you've covered and what you need to look over and things. So yeah. there's definitely yeah, use in the true. physical. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I think for me, um, understanding how students learn, especially in a group work setting, um, apart from the things that Alex has said, it's having a really friendly learning environment that I find really helpful, not just within one group themselves, i.e. Uh, them feeling comfortable with the rest of their group um, mates, but also with others around them. Um, so for the listeners um, who aren't uh, Leicester students, um, so the way group works work uh, is that you have four groups, uh, around eight students in each group. Uh, and so that will be in one room, uh, although during this COVID times that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but that, that's generally how it works. And I find that, you know, if the students come into a session feeling relaxed and they don't feel pressurized by your presence as a CTF, um, i.e. they don't feel intimidated by you, then they're more likely to open up, they're more likely to uh, kind of try and not make mistakes, but try and 
talk to you about their thoughts and learn from their mistakes as well, uh, which I think is incredibly helpful um, because I think, as what Alex already mentioned, you know, students who do speak up, they learn a lot better. Um, and I find that, you know, I can do different ways to make it more friendly in that sense, um, you know, uh, by having different um, quizzes um, at the start, um, ice breaking activities for those who just met each other for first years, for example, or just uh, every other week, maybe just talking to the quieter ones, kind of encouraging them to speak up, uh, advocating them to, you know, answer some questions on behalf of the group, that, that sort of thing, um, in a nice, calm manner. That's that's really nice to hear. So you've, you've spoken a bit about your method, Chiang, because I'm always thinking as CTFs, how how much do you feel like you can take control of the room in front of you? Because see, different CTFs have different methods, right, of going about it. Some just let you get on and some actually do the things that you were doing in terms of quizzes. But Alex, could you talk a bit about what your thought process is like when you went to those rooms, what you what you thought would be the best way to sort of go about teaching the students and things? Hmm, so I, I haven't really thought of that. I guess like... Um... I try and make my lessons, well, I try and make my lessons kind of a bit more balanced. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, again, it goes back to like what T was saying and that actually like, you know, in a relaxed environment, people actually might be more prone to open up and discuss things. But also if you're, I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, looking forward is possibly a strong word for group work. But like, if you're not like, oh, geez, group work, four till six uh, on a Tuesday or whatever, then like you're more likely that if you're coming in with a bit more of a positive mindset, then you're more likely to like leave it with the, like taking something away from it, I guess. So so T, you mentioned that you, you've got, you know, you like involving games and quizzes and things like that. Is that just to, you know, get everyone talking and kind of like break the ice um, among groups and, you know, get people talking about topics? Or is is there any other reason you, you like to, you know, involve games and things in, in group work sessions? Yeah, I think initially I did it just as an icebreaker um, sort of thing, but it quickly evolved into a more recap session. Um, again, uh, there's different uh, sort of uh, websites that I use or apps that I use um, for um, the gate quiz and games um, but most of them uh, kind of challenge each student to kind of recap what they've learned in the last session and also it helps me gauge their understanding as well of um, what they've covered uh, in group work last week um, and also because these uh, quizzes are kind of anonymous as well, so they kind of feel more relaxed in putting in an answer that they think is right. And um, generally, I tend to um, sort of go through the answers um, with them. And, and if there is anyone who is brave enough um, to speak up for their rationale, they're happy to do so as well. Um, so I think it started off as a fun thing, and then it changed to a more educational type but I think it's not just that it's um, you know some of the modules um, which are perhaps a lot more straightforward uh, and you know students have time at the end for example I try to come in as a patient or patient's family for example again to try and provoke that um, sort of 
conversation within the group. And um, also, you know, a lot of students think that the first and second years, they're kind of learning basic sciences that has nothing to do with actually being doctors. Um, mm. And I'm just trying to um, kind of break that stereotypical thinking um, by coming in and say, actually, from what you've learned uh, in this module, how are you going to explain things to me as Uncle Bob, for example? Um, and, you know, it, it's quite fun in the sense that, you know, everyone can chip in uh, in the group. Um, and even the quieter ones, actually, um, they're able to kind of try and change the way they think and uh, change, um, you know, what they've learned in preclinical sciences and come up with a phrase that's understandable for a layperson. Yeah, I really, really like that. I think that's the best way to go about it. You know, when they say explain it to an eight-year-old or explain it to a, it just, it really helps to simplify things for your own understanding as well. But I think also I just wanted to add, like from personal experience as a student, I used to step into those rooms thinking, I've got these questions, need to get them answered and then out. You know, you know, that kind of an attitude and an approach. Is there any sort of message you want to give to students like that in terms of, you know, whether they should change that? Because also it's like I used to shy away from speaking up because I never used to feel confident. I've covered everything. Um, I'm not up to date with everything. So having conversations about that subject used to really frighten me. So what kind of advice would you give as a CTFs? Oh, very tough question, I have to say, Nikita. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, let me bring you back to one conversation I have with a student, uh, and it's regarding a pharmacology module, and I'm sure we all hated pharmacology as a student, uh, learning them and, you know, trying to keep up with learning the side effects and the, you know, mechanism of action and things like that. And the question that they pose is, how am I supposed to learn all this? You know, uh, it's just too much and too short of a time to remember all of it. Um, and uh, the advice that I gave was uh, try and look for a pattern um, in these uh, drugs. Um, yes, they all have a set side effects but if you can um, sort of categorize them for example it will make your life so much easier and the reason uh, why you need to know side effects as well is to try and think about the bigger picture um, so it's all about the patient for example um, so I think well a funny story um, pharmacology related uh, that I've done as a student was um we were talking, um, well, I was talking with a group of friends and we were talking about how to treat um, a gastritis, for example, or gastric ulcer. And um, one of the guys was saying, oh, we'll, we'll treat them with PPI, you know, Gaviscon and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you've actually missed one. And they're like, what? I was like, omeprazole. And then they're like, that's a PPI and just roll their eyes. And it's just a typical example of, you know, me remembering omeprazole and failing to understand that it is a PPI. Um, so, you know, it's just those concepts. I think just taking a step back, kind of looking at the wider picture and it applies to every other system that you learn um, in the first and second year. Um, yes, you are learning, you know, maybe you're learning about histology, but why is that relevant? What's the big picture behind it um, is right. what I, my advice would be. I totally resonate with that. I think that's that makes total sense because there's always this pressure. You need to know everything when you come out of it or every fine detail. Yeah. And then you just you just yeah. step back. Up. It's like all or none. Like, OK, I'm not doing it at all. Uh, mm -hmm. So it becomes like that. But I think bigger pictures, definitely. 
definitely important. So uh, sort of moving on to in terms of as medical students uh, who have an interest in medical ed- education, how can we sort of get involved in it? Um, I would say just like do as much if you like do as much as you can. And, and even even if you are not interested in medical education um, <laughs> um, for like our kind of your what we were saying before is it, it really helps your own learning. And, you know, when I was at medical school, I was on the sort of, I did a lot of peer support stuff, which was, I think you guys have a similar thing in Leicester where like the older years come in and teach the younger years. Um, so I, I really encourage people to get involved in that, both on the on the teaching and student side of it. I think that's really helpful. Because it's all about those like informal, like you feel might feel a bit more relaxed. You might feel like you can like answer a bit more when it's just your peers and things. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, um, if you you're someone who's perhaps not very confident in your knowledge, for example, teaching is the best way um, for you to learn uh, more things. Um, because as we said, you know, we don't know everything as teachers, but we kind of learn at the same time as students do. Um, so personal experience, when I was a student, I didn't actually do a lot of peer-led teaching on a sort of formal scale in the medical school, but um, I do very informal ones uh, with friends um, and kind of uh, organizing sort of OSCE stations um, amongst friends as well. You know, you can start small and yes, it doesn't get recognized in that sense, but you get a feel of teaching. Um, but then I would say, you know, if you are, I guess, more serious um, about it, you can always, and, and also if you have the means to do it, um, uh, there is an intercalated degree as well um, that you can take a year out and you can do master's in clinical education at Leicester um, as well, which is, uh, I would say, intense one year for the intercalated students. Um, but it's definitely valuable um, because we have some at the moment this year that um, we are mentoring as well, um, Alex. And I think, yeah, it's just great to have them on board. Yeah, that's great. Some uh, great advice there. So uh, we've come to the the last part of our show, which is the recommendations. So uh, I believe you guys have got some recommendations for us. I don't know, uh, Tiang, if you want to give us your recommendation this week. Um, yeah, so I started reading this book. Um, I think it's really good. I've not finished it yet. Um, but it's called The Art of Changing the Brain. And it's by uh, James Zell. Um, and it's basically um, about the practice of teaching and using um, a different senses um, for the student's point of view, and how those different senses can help uh, improve their learning a lot more. And I think for me, um, it, it's such a game changer to kind of think about how the brain works and how you can make use of that knowledge and try and change it the way you teach so that it's more effective. Um, so definitely recommend anyone who's um, you know keen to teach or wants a bit of an idea of how to teach better as well um, to read this book. And also, if you are interested in uh, a nervous system, you know, it's something that you're in- interested in. Uh, definitely have a read. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Alex, have you got any recommendations for us? Uh, yes. So uh, I was assuming about this earlier. I'm not sure how good of a recommendation it is. Uh, but this is this is was my rule of thumb uh, as a medical student, and it is to never read a textbook that is 
thicker than your fingers width because uh, most of the time you don't need to know that much. Uh, and it's usually everything good is in a primer. So that, that's my advice. Yeah, a, gr- a great rule to, to live by, definitely. <laughs> so uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. So big thanks to our guests, uh, Tiang and Alex, for joining us and sharing their insights. Thank you, uh, thank very you. Much. Thanks for having us, guys. Really no problem. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And of course, thanks to our listeners. Uh, so that's a goodbye for now. Bye. Bye. (laughs) And don't forget to join us next time for another exciting episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and give us a follow on Instagram at the Hippocampus Podcast or Twitter at Hippocampus underscore pod. And if you've got any thoughts on this episode or ideas for our future discussions, please send us an email at the Hippocampus Podcast at gmail.com. 